We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea. Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. I'm your host, Will, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Liberal Democrats' prospective parliamentary candidate for Edinburgh East, Jill Riley. Welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon. Nice to be here. Uh, So to begin with, I'd like uh, to ask, Edinburgh East has been a seat that hasn't been held by the Liberal Democrats before, how confident are you of taking the seat or at least doing well? So, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's interesting times at the moment. We beat both the Tories and Labour in uh, the recent European elections in Edinburgh East, which, you know, was was really great for us. Um, the SNP do have quite a good majority, but I know that the people of Edinburgh East voted to stay in the EU and to stay in the UK, and we are the only party standing on that promise. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we are realistic, but you know we are playing to win. So um, I think the the fact that we are the only party standing on that promise to stay in Europe and the UK is really resonating. Um, and also, you know, I'm a fresh face, not stood before, mm-hmm. and people are a bit disillusioned with existing politicians. So. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a good campaign. Mm. Um, one of the things that perhaps has been a bit divisive in terms of uh, the public's reaction to the Liberal Democrats has been the policy of revoking Article 50 rather than going for a second referendum. Which do you think would be the uh, best option to go for if the Liberal Democrats are in a position either to decide who the next government are or to actually uh, form the next government? So our position was always to have a people's vote, and that still remains. Mm -hmm. However, we added the extra scenario of if we won a majority and created the government, and it was a Liberal Democrat government, then we would revoke Article 50 as a means of putting you know brexit on hold and getting on with what matters to people we are a party that believes in staying in europe so we would not waste time questioning that if we had won a de- you know through a democratic event if we had won that the people's vote is, has always been our policy and still remains that if in a situation where we're not the majority government um, and that is obviously maybe looking a bit more likely now given mm-hmm. the polling so that remains our policy for the people's vote. Um, and as you say, if we are, you know, working with other parties, um, then we would push for that um, after the 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that uh, since the European elections, which you uh, mentioned at the start, mm-hmm. uh, why do you think that since the European elections earlier this year, the Liberal Democrats haven't uh, maintained the same amount Uh, of percentage points in the polls that they did uh, during those elections. I think there were uh, certain times when the Liberal Democrats were leading uh, the polls. Why do you think there's been a bit of a a decline in uh, in polling? So I think as we get closer to the election time, the fact that we have a first-past-the-post electoral system really starts to change behaviour and it really starts to change the messaging from the other parties. I think tactically voting really comes in here um, at this point. And I think, you know, that's that's what we need to reform in order to get 
um, people in Parliament that really represent all the different views of people on the street. Because at the moment, you know, a two-party state isn't really isn't really reflective of everyone's views across across the country. Um, the fact that we, you know, a 13 or 14 percent of the electorate would vote for us, but yet the SNP, for example, have four percent, but then they have so many more Westminster parliamentarians. It doesn't really doesn't really weigh up for me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, um, so I think that's what happens when it's a Westminster election. Um, you, you get the tactical voting, and and that tends to mean that we are less likely to see any great results i think mm-hmm. do you think that um because the smp are the uh, only really uh independence uh, supporting party in scotland and the fact that there are uh, a couple uh, of different unionist parties that this sometimes uh, skews uh, the vote uh, when it comes to uh, westminster elections as you mentioned uh, the SNP are doing, uh, or going to do, uh, if the polls are believed, uh, quite well uh, in Scotland in terms of uh, electing MPs to Westminster. Do you think that that sort of split between the unionist parties is a is a problem when people come to vote? Um, so I think, I mean, it's difficult to say because, you know, having spoken to the electorate, I don't think they see the Lib Dems nationally as unionists because mm-hmm. we're federalists i think we have a good answer as to why we think maybe the system isn't working at the moment but the answer isn't to get rid of westminster like the tory uh, like the snp want to do um but yeah i think i'm not sure that we would be splitting the vote for the unionists because i think the tories policies are so different to ours and it's mm-hmm. it's been clear when i've been at you know the hustings in front of the public the questions that aimed at the Tories, you know, are very specific about their policies and not really about the whole unionist thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't see, I don't see that it's a split vote really for, from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the Labour Party has, uh, in the past, been a party that has dominated uh, Scottish politics and, at the moment, isn't doing. Uh, particularly well. Do you think that there's an opening for the Liberal Democrats uh, to take the place of the Labour Party in terms of Scottish politics as a sort of more, perhaps not left-wing party, but but perhaps more centre-left party? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think, like, Scotland is is a liberal place, and I think that, you know, we we would have a natural home and a natural vote here. there are obviously pockets of, you know, strong Labour support, but in some ways, quite a lot of them have moved to vote for the SNP. Mm. Um, but I do think that there's, you know, a strong Liberal vote. And, you know, maybe it is some people that are disillusioned with Jeremy Corbyn or it could be people that are disillusioned with um, the Tories as well. But I think historically that we have had, a, you know, la- there are lots of people that would, would vote Liberal, but because of the tactical voting, they don't. So, again, it's back to electoral system reform, hmm. I would say. Uh, what do you think, aside from Brexit, is the most pressing issue in terms of uh, Scotland and the Scottish electorate? So, it's interesting, actually, because one of the things that I... Um, 
I spoke about at conference and also have um, put as one of my key points within my literature is um, the the benefit system mm-hmm. and um, trying to move forward so that we you know we end child poverty. And that is a question that came up at both the public hustings that I was in last week as well. So it's obviously on people's minds in Edinburgh East as well. Um, you know, the rise in food banks, um, the botched rollout of universal credit. Um, so I think that seems to be quite important to people um, at the moment, I would say. Um, and then the Lib Dems obviously have, you know, have a clear position on how to make um, it's a fairer share for all policy um, and reversing some of the issues that have come out with universal credit, reversing some of the policies that impact children like the two child limit um, mm-hmm. and also the bedroom tax. Um, so I think we, we we have put in place policies or put forward policies that would, would address the concerns that people have there. What do you think is the reason I know you've worked uh, both in the private and the public sector. What do you mm-hmm. think is the reason that we are seeing uh, such pressure being put on the NHS at the moment? Do you think it's simply a lack of uh, funding going to it, or do you think that it's uh, more to do with organisation and uh, the management of the NHS? So I definitely think um, more funding's needed and I think that's something that we've pushed forward. Um, obviously NHS has devolved, um, health has devolved within Scotland so it, it wasn't a key part of um, my campaign in Scotland mm-hmm. but um, nationally we definitely think more investment is needed um, and we don't think you know a top-down reorganisation is what's needed because there's been quite a lot of transformation over the last 10 years within the NHS. Um, so what we need is more funding and it needs to stay within, you know, a public a public provided service. Um, so, yeah, I think it is a funding thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you've uh, mentioned that the NHS is, of course, a devolved issue uh, and so is education. And uh, the SNP have been held somewhat to task for their record on education over this election. Where do you think um, they have perhaps gone wrong in terms of education policy? So, I mean, some of the things that they have tried to put in have been the right things. They've just been Mm -hmm. quite slow or missed targets. Um, And I think maybe it's also a bit of a funding issue as well. So we have said that we will increase school budgets um, and also make sure that we hire the right number of teachers that we have you know the sort of more exceptional teachers are Mm -hmm. are paid maybe to work in the sort of more disadvantaged areas that really need that uplift um you know make sure that we have the right deal for people at the younger ages as well to make sure that um the nurseries provision is provided as well uh from for to allow working parents to go back to school uh, sorry, working parents go back to work after they've had their half after uh, maternity leave. Um, so I think, yeah, I think funding and also missing targets and just being focused too much on independence has probably let the SNP down. Mm. Um, how important do you think it is that as we 
come towards uh, the end of this year and going into next year, that regardless of whether Brexit is revolved through the Prime Minister's deal or whatever the result is, is that we don't let it um, completely dominate our politics in the same way that it has done for the past few years. So do you mean how do we move forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it is quite hard. I mean, I think we're going to have to work together. Um, I mean, it's difficult to say without knowing the outcome of what happens Mm. um, on the 12th. But there's definitely, you know, the parties are going to have to work together to try and get something that, you know, we can agree on um, or else something bigger needs to change, you know, like you know, the part, some parties may end up being split up over this and then mm. that might actually in the longer term be good. Um, and I think that's the sort of thing that might lead to electoral reform because if we have small, more and smaller parties, then that's when PR would be much more, you know, beneficial for everyone. Mm. So I think that's the kind of thing that I can see happening, mm. hopefully. <laughs> so, Yeah. Uh, now you mentioned uh, the splitting, the potential splitting up of parties and the forming of smaller parties, and we saw that um, earlier this year with several Labour MPs and then uh, a few Conservative MPs uh, leaving their respective parties and forming uh, uh, Change UK or the Independent Group, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, do you think that the reason that we're seeing people leaving the traditional uh, political parties is solely down to Brexit? Or do you think it's a sign of wider problems in our political system? So I think the two big parties that we have, um, Labour and Conservative, they've both gone really far to Mm -hmm. the right or left. And I think, you know, if we look at, you know, the governments that lasted for quite a long time more recently, they were sort of more central central Labour and more central Tory. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably what's called caused these people to object to the way that the parties have gone and say this doesn't align with my view anymore, therefore I need to step away uh, and change party or else go to a new party that's just formed like with, with TIG. So um, I think it's because they've gone off the polar opposites. So hmm. I think that's probably why. Do you think that, um, given that the parties are... Uh, have have gone to to polar opposite sides. Do you mm-hmm. think that it's um, a bit surprising that uh, the support for the Liberal Democrats hasn't necessarily shifted in uh, the way that you might have expected with the two parties going in such different directions? Yes, I think that is true. But I think people are again because of the. Um, tactical voting thing Mm -hmm. they're like what's the lesser of two evils I want my vote to count because it's really important that you know the people that want Brexit vote for Brexit the people that don't vote for whatever party would be next there Mm -hmm. so I just think that it's encouraging that sort of um, that sort of behaviour to think I need to make sure that my vote counts and it it doesn't with the system that we have at the moment Um, so I think yeah, I think the polar opposite thing maybe has, and maybe the the whole referendum has turned people into extremes too because it's sort of been so binary. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of gone along with how they're voting as well. 
Do you think that um, tactical voting might perhaps uh, skew the result of the general election in a way that doesn't necessarily uh, demonstrate what people are feeling and what they're voting for? Because as you said, that in some instances it will be voting for the lesser of two evils rather than Mm -hmm. for their preferred choice. Yes, um, because, I mean, it has ended up being quite a Brexit-focused um, election, although in mm-hmm. Scotland, I think, you you know, you'll see the Tories, their literature doesn't mention Brexit at all because mm. they know how unpopular that is in Scotland. Um, but they just talk about we need to keep Scotland as part of the UK. And that's kind of what their literature goes along with. But then hopefully people see through that and understand that, you know, getting more Tories into Westminster will make Brexit more likely. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it's difficult to say. I think, you know, the unrest is going to continue because people are voting maybe on one one policy point and then everything else then falls through. I don't know. It's just just going to be um, difficult times, I think, even after the 12th. Uh, I'd uh, now like to just uh, talk particularly uh, about... Edinburgh East. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think have been uh, the issues that have been most important in Edinburgh East? Um, so, well, I mentioned earlier the child poverty questions that have been mm-hmm. coming up quite a lot, and I think people are also very much interested, well, concerned about Brexit. Um, they're concerned about whether we're staying in the UK or not. Um, and we also have, over the last 18 months, I have been going out getting to know local people, doing regular door knocking as well as attending mm-hmm. events. And there have been quite a lot of um, people talking about sort of the more day-to-day things that really bother them as well. So mm-hmm. um, quite a lot of them are concerned about um, speeding and mm-hmm. parking on, on pavements mm-hmm. and and these sorts of things too. So you know, you, we do sort of get it all when we're when we're speaking to them. <laughs> so um, I think, like you know, the big things are bothering them, like the constitutional changes, as well as you know how maybe that's been a distraction too, um, and has impacted people's day-to-day lives where the council maybe haven't been picking up on things that they would have hoped they would be. Um, and I think the the point on climate change is really important to people in the east as well um i think they are very sort of climate aware mm-hmm. quite a lot of the areas within within edinburgh east um and i know people were wanting to speak in quite detail about our our climate policies mm. um so i think you know to be honest they've landed quite well because we have been quite progressive with that so um yeah. what particular uh, influence do you think the manifesto has had on uh, the way people vote? Because I know, of course, that the uh, Scottish Liberal Democrat manifesto is a bit different uh, from the one uh, in the rest of the UK, because, of course, there are certain issues that are devolved. Mm-hmm. Has, has it has it particularly influenced the way people vote, do you think? Um, I mean, it's difficult to say. Certainly when I'm knocking on doors, people say, oh, I will read through everything. It's not not that they have already, so I'm not sure how many people do read the manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, you know, we talk through it at public hustings, but that's quite a limited number of people that go to those. 
Um, but I think, you know, it's part of the importance of the media to make sure that our key messages about our manifesto are getting out as well. Um, and just to try and make sure that we are reinforcing that um, where we can. Um, you know, most of the key points are covered in the Scottish um, version of the manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, there's a few bits that are, are not um, in as much detail because they're devolved. But quite a lot of the, you know, the additional funding and things would still come through from the Barnet formula mm. um, anyway. So, yeah. But, yeah, it's difficult to say how people are going to vote, whether it's going to be based on the manifesto or whether it's going to be based on what their next door neighbour thinks or what they've seen on the TV or mm. what they've read in the newspaper. But we just have to cover all these bases if we can. <laughs> um, how much of an influence do you think that the... Um leader of the Liberal Democrats, Joe Swinson, has on whether people uh, may vote or may not vote for the Liberal Democrats? So I think um, with Liberal Democrat voters, they've, they've people that I've spoken to who have historically voted Liberal Democrat, they've always been really positive about mm-hmm. Joe and think she's a breath of fresh air. Um, and, you know, she's really strong. She's really clear in her messaging. Um, obviously, you know, all the leaders are getting quite a lot of negative press. That seems to be what happens these days. Mm. Um, and I think she's coming across as being really resilient to that and, you know, staying strong. And I think that's that's landing well. Um, you know, people that maybe aren't liberal voters that I speak to on the doors who they quite often say, oh, I'm not sure about her. But, you know, they're not they weren't going to vote Liberal anyway. So I'm not sure that they're putting their she would be influencing negatively um, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, um, when you uh, were announced as uh, the candidate, one of the things that you said that you would like to uh, particularly uh, take issue and fight against uh, was the SNP's garden tax. Do you think you could explain that uh, to viewers who are perhaps not aware of it? Yeah, so the garden tax is something that has come up on the doors quite a lot. Um, it's actually a council-led um, sort of uh, thing that's moved move mm-hmm. forward. I'm not sure whether, I think it's, it's probably across the whole of Scotland, but certainly our Edinburgh councillors have fought to, to change the way that it's been implemented because the garden tax is basically, um, if you have a garden, um, as part of collecting, um, you know, recycling, um, putting the bins out generally for general waste. There's mm-hmm. also garden waste. Um, and those people who wanted to put that out for the council to pick up would have to pay an annual fee. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, we're calling that, it's been called the garden tax. So, um, But it has been implemented in such a way that, you know, bins have been going missing. So people mm-hmm. haven't, even though they've paid for it, they're not able to actually put put their garden waste out. And it just seems like a tax on people who have a garden. Um, so our local councillors have been working to, you know, to end that because we don't think it's it's something that we should be we should be asking people to pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been great mm-hmm. to have you on, uh, Jill. And I'd just like to ask one final question. We're coming up to Christmas. This is a December election. We're recording this in December. So I would like to ask, what would you like for Christmas? Um, 
So I think for Christmas I would like um, a Liberal government mm -hmm. <laughs> um, at, after the general election. I think um, that would be great. It would allow us to implement all our policies, which I think would be um, something that would really greatly benefit society um, and, you know, um, help people to have better and easier lives, mm -hmm. which I think is really important and something that's maybe been a bit lacking um, since um, we had the Tory government. Um, at a sort of more day-to-day -day level, I actually would really like um, a blender for making mm -hmm. soup <laughs> because I have, um, I've been making soup quite regularly, especially throughout this campaign, because uh -huh. I think getting nutrition in is really important. Mm. Um, and the, a bit of it's broken off. <laughs> Um, and I don't think I'll be able to fix it. So I think that's on my Christmas list. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think uh, we can certainly wish you all the best uh, with getting a new blender, hopefully, you yeah. know, for Christmas as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as you can. Uh, thank you again uh, for coming on and speaking to me. OK, great. Thanks very much. Uh, if you would like to listen to the podcast on uh, iTunes, you can. You can listen to it on Spotify, Spreaker and YouTube. Uh, you can email us at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com and I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope you listen to the next one. Mm -hmm.